Good. Okay, so let's let's talk a little bit about uh, what we did and um, and why we did it. So, any thoughts? Uh, what did you think went well? What was helpful? And 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 can we just say that's that is what we want. That's what we want. When we finish a church service, there are many people will come up and say, oh, thank you for that wonderful worship. It wasn't worship. And what I usually say is, what a savior. What a savior we have. I want people, when they walk out, forget, oh, the band sounded great, or forget, I love that song. May they walk out and say, my Lord Jesus. So, yes. Good, yeah, so um, that's, a, that's an important, I'm trying to remember if that's one of the tensions. Uh, I don't think that, that that is one of the tensions coming up that we're going to talk about. Uh, plan spontaneous. But that would be another aspect of, um, of the tensions uh, would be, um, uh, um, how could you say it? Wordy versus meditative, maybe, would be a good tension, okay? Um, I am one who loves hymns. I love hymns. I love a lot of truth. I love a lot of content in my songs. But I also am looking for a place to respond to that content, you know, uh, that allows um, verbally to... uh, not have as many words in response, and also musically that feels like it, it is more open. It, um, so, so I think that finding a balance between songs where, where you have solid content and people are singing, but then a song where the church is able to just uh, respond more uh, with affection, or, you know, there's reasons we, we like singing choruses over and over, even in popular songs, they repeat the chorus, repeat the chorus, repeat the chorus, right? Um, it's, it's the comfortable part of the song to, to lead. There's a, a band I grew up listening to, I always liked, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, and they wrote all these radio hits, and they said their, their philosophy was, don't bore us, get to the chorus. You know, that's that. <laughs> now, I am not, for the tape, I'm not applying that to worship songs. Um, but what I'm saying is, there's a reason, even, even in the Psalms, <clears throat> the Psalms are songs, right? You see them, you see portions repeated. You know, we, we, we were reading Psalm 42 yesterday. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. That's repeated. The whole thing is repeated. It's it's probably a chorus. It's probably the center part of the song that, that everyone is, is singing. So, <clears throat> so it's, it's good to find ourselves in a place where something like that allows us to both sing praise to God and then be having our own meditations, our own reflections, or singing off of that. So I do, when I'm, when I'm looking at these songs, I, I tried to say, okay, what is, what is the content? Um, this is our God you know, has many, it's the, it's the words of the creed, okay? So you know it's outstanding truth. Um, and I think that the chorus does pretty well, 
as far as, you know, we believe the Lord our God is one. But take a look at, that's the verse, that's the chorus, which is longer. Well, they're the same. <laughs> you know what I mean? Same amount of content and words in there. So that song is a very full song. Lots of words coming. Um, the Jesus will come back again bridge does open up, but it's still the, the same length as a bridge. Um, then we did before the throne of God. Oh, by the way, this is, um, these are also meaningful hymns that was meaningful when uh, you led yesterday, Come Thou Fount, right? That was the first song that we sang with you guys. Well, with my children, um, when they were infants, I, I chose a hymn for each of them to be their lullaby. It's what I would sing them every night. My wife and I would, would sing to them every night. So Patience, uh, her hymn is Crown Him With Many Crowns. Um, and, uh, and this is Elisha's hymn, my, my first son's hymn, Before the Throne. So this is very dear to my heart. But um, Come Thou Found is Liam's hymn. And that's, you know, so I thought the very first thing we did, we got here, uh, we were singing together with you guys for the first time, and Liam's here, and that's his hymn sung. And then Joy's is, um, she is the one that I always, uh, is Rock of Ages, and, and John's is When I Survey. Wonders cross. So anyway, so then we did Before the Throne, which is a hymn structure, very long, very wordy. Amazing lyrics. This was originally a six stanza hymn, and they just put the, put the stanzas together uh, for the modern melody. Um, and then, so after we did that, I said, okay, we have all these words, we read about the statement of faith, we have all of these words, can we find a song that lets us respond to that? To just praise. I said, where are we going to go? Here we are. Christ my Savior. I'm hidden with Christ. And I have a song that I brought that I thought, oh, I could teach them um, Christ will be my hideaway, which is written out of uh, Psalm 92. Right? Uh, Psalm 92 about no, no, no. It's not 92. 91. Psalm 91, which is about the pestilence and the plague that will not come against you. So Bob Coughlin wrote a hymn for COVID out of Psalm 91. I'll sing it for you later. It's wonderful. But I thought, here we have that that's idea of being hidden in Christ and we could hide away. But I looked, I said, the, the lyrics are very, it's, it's just very, a lot of content. I think we need to, at this point, rest a little bit and respond. And so I just was looking, Christ my Savior, my God, where do I want to go? And I thought, Jesus, there's no one like you. Uh, I saw that you guys had sung that. And now, I made a choice there. Can anyone tell me what choice I made about how to do that song? Yeah. It, it, at that point, it wasn't a worship song. It was a, it was a praise song. It was a worship song. Right? <laughs> um, yeah, no. I, so I, I made a choice. I sang it. I slowed the, the tempo down intentionally. Now, sometimes I get... I, there are two critiques I get. One is... Because I like, I'm originally, I'm a punk rocker. That's what I do. I, I like fast, loud, three chords, lots of distortion. 
That's where my heart is. So when I first started Lead Worship, everything we played, no matter what song it was, fast, that was always fast, 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 fast. Bob says, slow down, slow down, slow down. Okay, so I learned how to slow down a little bit. Now I take songs like this, I slow them way down, and Bob says, you need a metronome, you're going too slow. I said, Bob, you told me to slow down. He says, well, find a middle, find the right. Um, well, but there are certain songs that I think if you change the tempo for, for a purpose, for a reason, it can serve the congregation well. So this song is usually done with, uh, you know, kind of brightly. Um, uh, you, you guys know it, but. There is no song we could sing to honor the weight of your glory. Jesus, there's no one like you. Jesus, we love you. It's a, it's a wonderful song. Fantastic. And, and it, that tempo is very natural. It's fine. Um, but I, I, I felt like, no, I would like to just slow it down, be, be reflective, um, and do that purposefully. Uh, so, yeah. So, so this, is, this is part of in planning for worship and things like this. Um, I'm thinking through the content of this. And I'm saying there's, there's a ton of content here in This Is Our God. And I want us to sing that. And it's upbeat. And, it's, um, and then before the throne is in response to the statement of faith. We, so that's three elements of profound truth. Very devotional truth. Like it's stirring our emotions and our hearts. But I did. I felt like I, I want us to slow down and just be able to respond and reflect and just tell Christ how grateful we are. Just, just stop in the midst of, of all that truth I've just heard and just ponder it for a moment. And I saw that we were in the key of D, that we were going to modulate in the key of D. And I saw Jesus is no one like you. And I thought if we sing this quieter, then it may be harder for some of the guys to sing a little bit higher. In the, in the brighter um, register, and I thought, I don't want to pause here. You know, there's places where I plan to speak, but here's a place I don't want to interrupt. Um, and I thought it was a good place at the end of Before the Throne, going into this, to just free sing a little bit. I don't know how helpful that was, but just to kind of strum a single chord, um, give praise to God, let people realize that we're, gonna, we're going to just meditate now. We're going to reflect. So yes, I lowered, the, I lowered the key to stay in the key of D. It made the transition smoother, easier to sing in a, in a gentler way. Um, so. And just to follow up, I thought the free singing was really helpful for my soul. Okay. Uh, and I was wondering like, how to connect songs. I think it's something that sometimes we struggle with. Like, even back to verse 1, with Christ my Savior and my God, it connects with Jesus is no one like you. Mm. And is that something like last night you were like, oh, this works, or is it just in the moment? Yeah, like, so when I, that? yes, so, um, you know, mostly practice. And what I did was, and I will, when I'm practicing, it was funny when I said earlier, uh, this is not worship yet, this is worship practice, you know. Um, you know, as worship leaders and, and, uh, and pastors, you, you, you can relate this to sermon preparation, um, but you also should be familiar with this as you are going to train men to lead worship. You're going to... You, 
as pastors, you, you should not just find the best musician and put them in charge, right? You have to disciple them. And you want to, you can disciple them both in truth and in practice. Even though you say, I'm not a musician, I don't know what I'm talking about, but you can still use some of these sorts of concepts to train and help the people in your church who are, uh, who are doing this. So, um, yes, when, I, when I'm putting together worship songs, I'm usually playing through them, singing through them, I'm all, all different songs, but then I will take time sometimes and just sing through them and worship to them on my own. There are times in worship rehearsal where we're, sing, we're doing a song, the band is playing, we're just going through, and all of a sudden I begin to realize I'm being moved by certain truths there, and maybe the Lord is preparing me for Sunday morning. Maybe he's doing something here. And so I will take time. I'll just, and the band just plays behind me, and I'll, I'll take time, and then I'll do some free singing or what, and just see, does the Lord have something here? So it's, it's happening in the moment, but, I'm, but I am you know, preparing it as well. So last night, I did not, uh, I knew I wanted to go into There's No One Like You. I, I took some time on that D chord to just sing, and then I went into Jesus, No One Like You. I didn't do the same thing this morning. This morning, I, was, I got to the end of the song, and I just started looking at the phrases in Before the Throne of God, and I just started uh, meditating on them. You know, so I was singing, my Savior, my God, um, you, you're the King of glory, you're the King of grace. You know, I just started using some of those phrases um, just to stimulate my meditation and reflection in the moment. Again, I have to remember that this isn't my personal worship time with God. I'm leading the congregation. While that was going on... Um, Charles Spurgeon, he has a, a quote, something to the extent of saying that uh, he had once counted uh, 11 thoughts in his mind, or nine thoughts in his mind, all at the same time while he was preaching. So he's, he's, he's preaching, and, uh, and he's feeling impressed by what he's doing. He's remembering what's coming up next in his sermon. He's noticing out in the congregation this woman and knows the suffering that she's going through. And so he's, his, his heart is saying, Lord. Then he sees this man who hasn't been to church in a while and he's you know, seeing them drawn to repentance. He's just realizing that while he's preaching all his thoughts, which is a wonder of the human mind. And some people might say, well, that's Charles Spurgeon. That's amazing. Well, I think it's just the way all our minds work. And when... when oh, when someone is up here uh, in the role of leadership for the singing, there is a, that same thing is going on. Okay, you, you um, uh, Emmanuel, you were, you were saying playing and singing. You have a hard time doing that. Uh, your friend disagrees with you, so we'll see. But anyway, um, <laughs> but that's... That's true. You're, you're playing, when you're playing an instrument, <clears throat> playing piano, you are, you have uh, independent movement of your hands. They're doing different things. Drum is independent movement of your limbs, you know, all the limbs. Um, piano, you have the damper, you have the keys, you have registers, you have different chordings, so you're choosing which chordings that is. Same on guitar. Where am I going to play it? On the neck of the guitar. It's easier on guitar. There's fewer options. But you have, you have the, the notes to play the right notes. And then you have the rhythm. 
to play. So that's the first thing you're trying to do. Then you're singing. Then you're remembering the words, which is where I usually mess up. And you may have heard, even today, there were places where I was like, I'm missing words. Then you're saying, what verse am I, you know. Then you're trying to remember, where am I going next? Then you're saying, does the band know where I'm going next, and do I have to tell them anything? Then you're saying, does the projectionist know where I'm going next, and do I have to tell them anything? Does the congregation know what I want to do next? And then is the congregation engaged? Are they responding or, or not? You know, is something you know, technically going on? What comes next in the service? I'm in the middle of the song. What, do I have a scripture reading next? Am I going to miss something? Am I going to, you know? And then, what am I supposed to be doing? I'm supposed to be worshiping God, right? <laughs> right? Um, you know, so do you see that, that all of those responsibilities are happening all at once? And so sometimes people will say, you know, you, you, we have to remind our, our instrumentalists and the band members, um, their, their first priority is to be worshiping God with the people. Their second priority is to serve the people with excellence, you know? Um, and those two things can happen together. And, and that's okay. Um, there are times when someone may say, I'm serving so much, I need to just sit down, be in the congregation. We talked about that last night um, uh, with Abby. The, the, um, you know, there is sometimes a sense of like, I would like to just sit and worship. So this is a great week for you because you're going to get every guy and you get to say, ah, I just get to, to sing. Um, but at the same time, that is a part of the responsibility of the call. And so we shouldn't look down on that. Um, I think we should come to terms with that in faith. When you're an elder in the church, you do not just sit through a service and get to enjoy it the way another church member does and just listen, and just sing, and no, you are leading. You are responsible. So you are the one that's always thinking, what comes up next? You are the one that's assessing, is the church engaged? You're the one that's conscious, is our people safe? You know, is, is the environment safe? Um, you are the one, uh, when a prophetic word comes, you have to vet that. If something interrupts the service, you need to be ready to step in and take leadership. Um, when, you know, so all of these things, even when someone else is preaching, you need to be thinking, how do I apply this to myself? What is God saying to the church? Okay? Don't feel that that is a distraction. That responsibility is a distraction. Like, oh, I wish, I wish I could just be focused on the message and just this. No. I think instead we say, praise you, Lord. This is the, this is what you've called me to. You have you have made me a pastor. That's, I think I made the joke earlier. I don't remember. I, told, I tell my friends, you know, you have to preach so many times this week? Well, it's a good thing you're a preacher. You, know, this, you, are, you have been gifted by God to do this. Um, the musicians, encourage them. You've been gifted by God to do this. It is, yes, it is sometimes distracting. You play the wrong note and you get, oh, and now you're not thinking about God. You're thinking, oh, that was bad. Everybody heard that. It didn't. Um, you have to reorient. Okay, find your place again, and remember, Lord, all of this is for you. The bad notes, they're my fault, but receive my heart worship, you know, as we go. 
Um, learn to live, that's another one of those tensions. Um, you know, uh, uh, attentive and alert, you know, uh, alerted or distracted. Attentive and distracted, not distraction in a negative way, but distracted by your, the responsibilities God's given you. That's a tension we have to live in. Um, I think we should embrace that. I think we should teach people to embrace that. Um, and, uh, and then when you do have an opportunity, you go to a conference and you have no responsibilities, <sighs> breathe and embrace that. You know, you visit a church and all you have to do is preach. Breathe and embrace that, you know. Um, but is that, so is that good? I, I think that that's helpful. Okay, so how did we get there? <laughs> can't remember. The, yeah, we were talking about the different responsibilities that, uh, that someone has. You were asking, did I make that decision on the fly? That's what you're asking. So I was, I was singing, praising, seeking to praise God, but in that free singing time, I'm not just on my own. I am leading the people. So while I was doing that, while I was looking at before the throne and giving those phrases, the thought going through in my mind is, do I need to give direction? Do I need to say something here? And, and um, that time feels really long when you're up here. You know, <laughs> you're thinking. And so I, I had to make a decision. The way I thought about it, I said, do I want to encourage the guys to sing and speak praises to God? So that was one option. So while I was playing that chord, I, I almost, I could have said, um, let's just take a moment and speak your worship to Jesus. Or pray. And then you would have known Oh, he's just singing. He wants us to, to do this. Now, the congregation, you know, if you have a group of pastors, they're going to do that. They are comfortable. They've done this. They've done it in their private devotions. They're, they know how to do that. The church is going to be less comfortable, but you can lead them. You can direct them. So you could, um, you could be, be doing that. Uh, you come to be uh, Christ my Savior and my God. You are my Savior, my God, Christ, my Redeemer. Just take a moment and speak to God. Thank Him for being your Redeemer and praiser. Lord, I thank You. You are my Redeemer. You are glorious and mighty. See, I start doing it. I give them instruction. I start doing it. And then they, they can jump in and do that. Depends on if it's detached to my lapel. Uh, <laughs> what I might do is I might say a few phrases into the microphone to direct and to lead. I'll do the same thing. If I ask the congregation to sing on their own, um, I'll sing the first three words with them uh, before we go a cappella to start them off, and then I step away. And my, I train my vocalists to know. If I say, just the congregation now, you know, um, behold him there. The... Then the congregation takes it, and my, and my vocalists aren't confused. Like, he said congregation, then he started singing. Like, should we sing? Should we not sing? You know, train them, and it trains the congregation. But yes, so that's, you know, and I might do it both ways. I might do it into the microphone, or I might say, speak and say your things, and then I would speak three things, and then I would just sing something, you know, sing worship, and let... Let my voice encourage the other voices. There's many ways you can do it. I think you find out what works. Um, it is always going to be a bit different for the church. They're used to having the words right in front of them. 
Um, and so you, you, ha you are actually teaching them a value and helping them to step out in praising God with their own thoughts and words in the corporate environment. And you're saying that's, a, that's appropriate here. Even, even the way that the, the scripture says each of you comes with a word or a hymn or a, a song. You know, that again, the scripture doesn't prescribe what that looks like. That's an opportunity to give ev everyone, say how, what you want to speak to Christ. Now, let's all lift our voices in praise of God. That's not disorderly. That's not out of order. If someone wanted to pray in a tongue in that moment, you know, that's, I don't believe that that's out of order. They're, you just encourage them to pray themselves, you know. Um, that's, and then you bring that back uh, into order. And the way that I did that was going into the chorus of the next song. So I had that thought. Do I direct the guys to do that? Should we do that now? Um, and I just thought, no, let's go into the next song. I believe that's part of being led by the Holy Spirit. You know, um, there's not a right or wrong in that. I don't think the Holy Spirit says, oh, Joseph, you missed, you missed the moment. You know, I'm just in that moment just praying. You know, Holy Spirit, should I encourage them to speak praises? I think I'm just going to go into the chorus. Let's just worship. That will give them direction. That's all that they... I believe that that's the way the Spirit is leading and leading the worship leader in that moment. That's how I, I thought through that. Part of it is planned. I planned that, that the songs would fit together the way that they did. I planned the progression and, and the key. Um, but what happened in that moment was still spontaneous in the way that I was... Yeah. And, and we, that's part of, that's in the Healthy Tensions for today. He talks about spontaneity. I think that's one of our topics today, right? Um, and and uh, so we can talk about that more later today, but I think it is practice. And what I'd probably encourage you in the moment, like as we talked last night about how do you add in maybe more members of the band, that sort of thing, um, you did a great job being spontaneous, you know, there in the moment. And um, you could, for, the, for now, just train the band. If we get to the end of a song and I just start strumming a chord, you can drop out. Go ahead and you, you be spontaneous. That, that will teach them what it's like when you do it. Uh, and then I think you can even do that in practices. Take time. Uh, I, we'll, we'll talk about that later today. But for the rest of you guys, as you're thinking about leading worship, okay, um, the, the same is there. Don't think of this as just what the worship leader can do. There's no reason why a pastor or the elder of the church wouldn't get an impression for the church in the middle of the singing and come up here and, and lead through. Um, when you're leading, you know, and, and, and maybe, you know, you're directing us, you know, let's sing verse 2 together, and maybe James is playing with you, and he's the one that's singing, because you're saying, like, if I sing into this microphone, we're all going to go off. Um, I don't, you know, I think that you, you do want to give the example of singing, but you don't need to always sing in the microphone to lead. You can lead us into a verse, and if you're not comfortable singing that, and you have the vocalist to, to back you up, I think it's fine to drop your microphone, but don't stop singing. Show the church that you are worshiping along with them. Lead them visibly in what you're doing. And if you get to the end of a song, maybe we got to the end of Before the Throne, and you felt that sense of wanting to worship God. You don't need to, uh, you know, Christ, you're my Savior, oh my God. You can just let James play and just say, Lord, you are our Savior. Praise you, Holy Savior. Speak your praise. You can do the same thing. You can say, let's just take a moment and speak thanks to God. Does, does that make sense? 
worship, the worship leading is not about being able to sing, per se. It's not about being a musician. It's about caring for the people of God, listening to the Holy Spirit, and, and, wor- and gathering together to praise God through, through the service. So even if you are not musical and you are leading, you can be spontaneous, you can, you can do these things. Um, um, how did you think that fit in? It was a different sort of a scripture reading to read, a section from the epistles that's a call to holiness, right? Um, how did you think that fit? So that would be an important thing if you're going to drop into a call to holiness and putting off the old self and putting on the new self and talk about the, the, the dangers of worldliness and the evils of it, you know, he's introducing some very odd, you know, sin categories. Like, we're in the middle, of, we're saying, Jesus, thank you, and now the scripture's saying, you know, uh, every kind of impurity, and, um, but, but I think that, you know, what I was hoping to do there was say, okay, here is the way we have, we have, we just sang all I have, all I need, all we want is in you. That, that's, a, that's a bridge of consecration in worship to God. So what does a holy life look like? What does a consecrated life look like? Ephesians 4 is that call to a consecrated life. Worship God and love others. And then a song that, that picks up on that. Um, uh, And you guys, you guys did a great job. In this small group context, what happened was I realized last night I planned to ask one of you to read that passage. And then I got here and I forgot. So now I'm up on stage leading, and I have a whole different set of Spurgeon thoughts in my mind. Oh, great, you forgot to ask. Now what are you going to do? Well, we'll do it on the screen. No, we don't have it on the screen. Uh, what do I do? Um... And I thought, well, these guys are all going to be pastors. They can read scripture. We're good, you know. <laughs> um, and so you see, you see, but in that moment, the, there was a mistake I had to come up to, but I, I tried to not let it interrupt what was happening here. I didn't want that to be a distraction. Um, so I just thought, okay, let's, we can open our Bibles. These guys can read this passage. Um, and then I, I, I wasn't clear in the way I said it. I said the verse 17, and you read verse 17, and then I thought, oh, what I need is, I didn't give them the whole section, you know, I, I had to keep, but I felt like the Lord blessed that anyway, to have the three of you guys um, read, but it's a good reminder, you know, so Joseph, what can you do? Make sure you give everybody the assignments that they need, don't find yourself in that situation. Um, and then I, I had this thought when we got to the end of Take My Life, I thought, we could end here. This could be the end of singing. Um, I was having, last night I was wondering, you know, where do we go from that song of consecration? Where, uh, where do you go thematically? <clears throat> and I thought, we're going long. How long do I want to go? How much time should I take up? Um, so I was making that decision, and I felt comfortable. I could end here. And I think we all would have felt, this was a wonderful time. We engaged with God. Nothing less for it. Um, but I, I still, but I love to sing. Uh, and... Uh, and I still had this song, Christ is Mine Forevermore, and I felt like that theme was coming off of, I've dedicated my life to God. Now, what does that look like? What does it look to live that dedicated life? And that's what Christ is Mine Forevermore. It means 
I'm going to, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be having trouble. You will have many troubles in this life, but take heart. I've overcome the world, right? That's what this song is. Your days are numbered, and God has made you to walk with him. You're going to have difficulties. You're going to fall into sin. You're going to have sorrows and troubles that you don't know. You just consecrated yourself to God. This is what's coming. What is going to keep you secure? Christ is mine forevermore. So that's the way that I you know, tried to work those themes together. Um, good. Was there anything, now we're way far from the time, uh, you feel like you're learning from, from this? Um, was there anything that you thought was ineffective or didn't work? Or um, I, could, I could see, you know, guys saying, yeah, you didn't need to do Christ's mind forevermore. We were, we were okay. You know, I think that that's a valid critique of that. And um, I, sadly, I'm always late for everything and I always go long. So. There, when a mistake happens in the service... Uh, you have to make decisions about how to handle it. Uh, and there are multiple things. You know, you could, you could do nothing and just wait. Um, you can address it directly. Um, and, you know, th- those are two options. And, um, and then there's also the, the understanding of who should do this. You know, like, it, it, should the worship leader do that? Should the elder do that? Um, and, uh, and so there's, there's many different scenarios. Yeah, when a mistake like that happens, um, when you are producing a new song and you forget how it goes and so you start and you start singing I have no idea what I'm doing here in those scenarios I would just stop I would just stop and just tell the church um, it even happened Liam didn't it just happen a couple weeks ago at church I started something going on um, <clears throat> if a microphone goes down uh, we have this happens uh, this during the preaching is rubbing against someone's beard um, we, you know, we just, uh, if it happens one time, we get ready. If it doesn't happen again, we don't interrupt. If it happens a second time, I tell my sound team, you just walk up. And the sound team should just walk up to the pastor. The pastors are aware, oh, okay, we're going to fix my mic. Give us a second, folks. Turn it off. Fix the microphone. cable that's, you know, crackling, um, you know, those types of things that interrupt. Uh, so, so what do you do when you have a quote? So if a preacher's preaching, it says, do we have that quote? We don't have that? Could we get that up there? No, that's all right. I can read it here. That's, that's what I would do as a pastor and just kind of go through. When we're in worship, we're supposed to be reading something all together. I did have a decision to make. Now, if that was a Sunday and I knew we had it, what I might try to do is to just look, for, I, I could have asked for a sign from Caleb. And, and I think it's okay to, to tell your team, if something goes really wrong, I'm going to need you to tell me, can we do it or not? Um, so I could have said, uh, you know, so I just said, Caleb, we had, that, we had formatted that the other day. Do we have that? Um, but what I also could just say is, uh, are we going to be able to get that? And he could give me a thumbs up, thumbs down. You know, if he, if he says thumbs up, that's great because I'm off the hook. If he says thumbs down, now I got to come up with something, right? <laughs> um, you know, so so think through that. But I I let it go a little bit longer than I would have on a Sunday, because we were all here. We all knew what was going on, and um, we had already done that. But I think I would have just given it a pause, 
and then uh, if he, I would have asked that, you know, do you think we can get that up or should we just move on? Um, he gives me a thumbs down. I would say, okay, folks, we were going to read that together, but I think what we're going to do here is let me just read this to you and, uh, and listen to the impact of Christ's saving work on our lives. Um, and then I would just read it. Um, so, yeah. And, and those things, they happen. We, we want to be ready to... So we're, we're having a real practical morning here, huh, guys? Good. Was there anything else? Um, and again, you know, half of my uh, purpose in doing that is because I just wanted the opportunity to worship with you guys together. I'm looking forward to Friday. I wish I could be here Sunday. I know that when we get to Saturday, I'm going to be saying, you idiot, you should have stayed till Sunday. Um, because I know our hearts are going to be knit together and I'm going to want to meet uh, all of the church. But, um, but that I won't be. So I was, I'm glad to be able to do this. And again, I want, for you guys who are saying, I'm not musical, I've never done this, this, this is not to intimidate, this is to instruct. There are guys who are, who are called to serve in this way. There are guys who are gifted musically to do this. Um, you are called to be an elder, and elders are to be the worship leader of the church, you know, uh, and, and lead through those things. How you designate that, how you delegate that, um, will be up to you sometimes, but it might not be up to you because you may plant a church and then, you know, God forbid, your worship leader goes to another church, you know, and now you have nobody, right? What do you do? And put on some CDs and you figure out, how do I do this, you know? Or you just say, we're going to sing a cappella for a while because I still have vocalists and they can start us off, and, but I'm going, to, I'm going to be the one directing, guiding, saying where we're going in the service, praying between, uh, between songs or explaining why we're doing what we're doing. Um, I, I don't want you to be intimidated by that. Uh, well, I would say this. I want you to be in faith if you're called to do that. We're all going to be intimidated. The, I, I schedule our Sunday service. I do all of the planning with, uh, I meet with Jared Mellinger, our senior pastor. I sit down then with Jared Torrance, who, who is one of our elders. He helps, uh, and my administrative assistant. We plan out the Sunday service. We send all the guys their responsibilities. Um, I do all that. And so I never have to do Sunday announcements because I am responsible for scheduling who does Sunday announcements. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. Because I would rather lead worship, preach, do the child dedication, baptize. I'd rather do everything else in the service and have someone else come up and do the announcements because I, <laughs> I am intimidated by doing the announcements. I feel like this is, I don't know. I, feel, I could do many things, but this is not my thing. So none of the guys, you know, some of the guys are like, never put me on announcements. Um, it's hard. So... You know, it's, yes, we all have to do things we're uncomfortable with. So like twice a year I have to do announcements and every time I get up I'm like, I'm never doing that again. But good. Here as, as part of the instruction that we are uh, discussing and that is the, the example of, of uh, our physical worship. Uh, the the people who are up on here leading they're not just leading verbally they're leading physically and that's an important thing to train our musicians in our worship leaders um, that that 
that's why we should encourage people to learn to sing and play together so that the church sees them engaging in worship. It can be hard, an instrument like bass or you know, drums, it might be harder to sing along with, but when they stop, when they're not playing, are they engaged? Do they just sit there? You know, is, is the drummer, you know, when Josh is up here drumming for worship, he's you know, into it, and then he's like not playing on this song, so he's just like, you know, kind of counting the, the things, is there anything outside, you know. That affects the church. But if he's sitting here and he's praising and, and, and worshiping, um, and so as we choose musicians, we want to choose uh, people who have the, the countenance of worshipers, who are able to engage in that way. Our vocalists, same thing. Um, do they just drop the mic and stand there and wait till it's time to sing again? Or are they, are they willing to engage to sing? If someone's singing a solo, will they sing along you know, with the congregation but not into their microphones? Um, as a worship leader, um, the, the, one, of the, one of the trends that I think caters to that idea of it's just my personal worship experience is when we are just, just closed eyes the whole time. You know, like, here I am with God, you know. What are supposed to be doing? You know, well, no, we're all here together. We're supposed to be seeing one another, interacting um, in... Uh, um, was it in uh, Psalm sixteen? Uh, why am I blanking on that? It's, I have it right on the tip of my tongue. But um, the saints in the land—they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. You see, this, the saints around them, you know, uh, around you. Um, our countenance is reflecting the joy and the glory of Christ. That's part of the experience. So as a worship leader, I think it's, it is important that uh, we're not eyes closed or not just down to my music. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm always tied to my music. I, I need to learn better. But we want to have times when we are playing and people see our eyes. Our eyes are open. We may be you know, singing to God, but the congregation sees that we are visibly engaged. Um, eye contact with people in the congregation you know there, there's something to that in worship when when you're seeing okay yeah we are doing this together um, it's not wrong to close your eyes it's fine to close your eyes um, but who's setting who's setting the example of what it looks like to physically worship God when we sang the the anytime I'm not playing I love the opportunity to raise my hands you know and to to do that set that example um being willing to to get to kneel down, even with my guitar, there are times when I'll I'll, I'll kneel down. Um, it might be during the prayer time, uh, or it might be during a time of the song when I just I just feel led to do that. It may not be frequent, but the same is true for elders. Uh, if you're going to be a pastor in the church, your example in worship is going to shape your church. So you may be preaching, and like me, you know, like I said, everything's last minute, so. I get into the service. I'm like, I'd like to read through this one more time. You know, um, if everybody's singing and worshiping, and you're always, you know, reading something, doing this, that communicates something. But if you close that up, put that down. Here we are to worship with the people of God. Um, you know, it, I I would say, you know, amongst our pastors, we used to have our pastors on the stage, and they would they would worship uh, as an example. And there's too many of us, um, and we weren't that. A good example. So. <laughs> um, but no, it would be it would be you know fairly even when I'm off stage, someone else is leading worship. You know, to to bow down our senior pastor to to get on his knees during a song, and 
uh, or a time of prayer, you know, it's just, it's worth considering. Uh, what is your example? Do people see you singing? Do people see a variety of expression of your worship? Do they ever see you joyful, happy, dancing, jumping, uh, shouting? Um, is, do, they, do they see that? What they see you do, they will, they will also reflect. Bob talks about that in, in uh, the Healthy Tensions a little bit, so we'll talk about it a little bit later, but I didn't want to miss that. Um, and I also didn't... I, I, um, I see in my worship leading, I do tend to be more physical and move, and and uh, and uh, I just enjoy that. Um, and I can't remember if I mentioned this. I think I talk about it later. My own experience, uh, just with expressiveness. I think we'll talk later. But okay, uh, this session. Um, this is a session that I did uh, for a conference this past uh, spring called the Life Together Conference. Bob Coffin came and we, we talked about different aspects of the gathered church to help, uh, the, to help the folks in our churches in our region understand better what is it we do when we gather together. Um, and so this, uh, this message, my, my assignment was to uh, preach on Scripture governed and fueled. Our worship is to be Scripture governed and fueled, uh, the Word and the gathered church. So if you guys have your Bibles, flip open to Deuteronomy 31. Now that may not be a book that the church is all that familiar with or that every one uh, is always all that familiar with. And so uh, for a bit of an overview, I really found this as helpful to set this in context. Now, you, you know, the first five books of the Bible are written by Moses, starting with Genesis uh, and creation, the fall, God's redemptive plan, unfolding that through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, leading to Israel, going into Egypt. And Exodus Chapters 1 and 2, so you have Genesis, is all of that history. Then you have Exodus chapter two, which, uh, 1 and 2, which summarizes 400 years of history, of how Israel grew in number, how they became slaves in Egypt. And then from Exodus 3 until the middle of Numbers is only one year in Israel's history. Delivery from slavery through Moses, arrival of the law at Mount Sinai, Numbers 13 and 14, the people rebel and consequently wander then for 40 years in the desert before coming to the promised land. And so that brings us to the fifth book of the Bible. So you see how your Genesis this stretched out, then you get 400 years in two verses, then you have all of these other books covering just one year. Then you have 40 years of wandering the desert, and that brings us to Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible. And basically, Deuteronomy is a record of the three last speeches that Moses gave to the nation of Israel as they stood across the Jordan preparing to enter into the promised land. And um, that's if Mark Dever has a, has a series uh, introduction, two volumes. Um, you guys should get those. Introduction to the Old Testament, introduction to the New Testament. But that, that summary I read in Mark Dever, I just thought it was very helpful to put in context. So here we have Moses 
he's just before he dies, he's giving his last instructions from God to Israel before they go into the promised land. And Moses' dying words to God's people are about the importance of the word of God. The central place that the word of God is to have for God's people. So, reading here, uh, verses 9 to 12, chapter 31. Then Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, which I've learned is in Ethiopia, and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, at the end of every seven years, at the set time in the year of release at the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Assemble the people, men, women, and little ones, and the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God. So, you guys know that um, your pastors spent time in Louisville, Kentucky, right? That's where they, they were uh, in seminary and, uh, and pastor's college. Well, in Louisville is the home of the Louisville Slugger Factory. You know what a Louisville Slugger is? It's a baseball bat. You guys know, I know, to here it's football, right? But the American sport baseball. So, you guys are familiar? It's like cricket, but round bat, and you don't run back and forth, you just run around. <laughs> so, the Louisville Slugger Factory produces 1.8 million baseball bats a year. 50,000 of those are for major league players. So, guys like Didi Gregarious, Cody Bellinger, Vladimir Guerrero, uh, they might order, uh, an individual baseball player might order up to 100 bats per season. And those orders are made to exact specifications. So to accommodate, accommodate this, Danny Luquette, who is the, uh, uh, considered the best bat maker in the world, best baseball bat maker in the world, he says that in 2002 they introduced the computer numerical control machine. And that machine allows for precision shaping of spe for specific use. And how important is precision shaping? How important? Well, he related a story about how bats used to be made by hand. And that one time there was this, this great hitter, Ted Williams, and he sent one of his bats back saying it was too thick. And when they measured it, they found that it was five one-hundredths of an inch too thick. But Ted Williams knew it because he used it every day. How things are shaped makes a difference. And what does the shaping makes a difference. And we see that demonstrated here in Numbers 31. Because the church of Jesus Christ it has to be shaped. Uh, it has to be the word of God that does the shaping. 
In the church of Jesus Christ, it has to be the word of God that does the shaping. Now the problem in the text here is that we don't fear the Lord on our own. We have to hear from God. We have to be taught. God has a gracious plan to shape us and to transform us. He calls us to gather together and to read his word so that we will hear and learn to fear him. To fear means, you know this, it means to, to approach him with reverence and awe for his immeasurable worth. To relate to him with amazing gratitude for his love. To obey. To, uh, to love and obey him with our whole heart and with our soul and our mind and our strength and to ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due his name, which is what we are talking about. God uses his word to shape our worship and shape us to worshipers. God, is, God uses his word to shape our worship and shape us into worshipers. God is saying that when I want to teach people to fear me, when I want to teach them how to love me and how to honor me and to find their joy in me and true satisfaction in me and how to live their lives in a way that's pleasing to me and is a blessing to them, when I want to teach them these things, I'm going to gather them together and I'm going to have them read my word. So when we gather together to worship God on a Sunday, our gatherings must be word-faithful, word-governed, word-fueled, word-saturated gatherings. So there's two, two main points to take from this today. The first is word-shaped worship, and the second is word-shaped worshipers. So word-shaped worship. Word-shaped worship begins with a speaking God. The Lord is a speaking God. From the beginning of Genesis, God speaks creation into being. God speaks and reveals himself to Noah and to Abraham and to Isaac. In Exodus 3, the Lord reveals his name to Moses. And in chapter 4, the Lord tells Moses, I will be your mouth and teach what you shall speak. So in our passage, in verse 10, when it says, Moses commanded the people, this is God speaking to his people. And that should produce thanksgiving in our hearts whenever we consider that God is so gracious as to speak and to let us know him. In our Statement of Faith for Sovereign Grace Churches, it says on the section entitled God and His Revelation of Himself, it says this, Our eternal, transcendent, all-glorious God who forever exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is by His very nature a communicative being. That word communicative, you understand? He communicates. He speaks he both creates and governs tr through his words and has graciously revealed himself to humanity in order to commune with us. He has revealed himself through creation and providence in ways plain to all people, leaving no one without a testimony of himself. He also revealed himself through specific words that we might come to a fuller knowledge of his character and will learning what is necessary for salvation and life 
through the medium of human language, which is sustainable and adequate for communication. That, that's significant. Through the medium of human language, which is suitable, sorry, suitable and adequate for communication with those who bear his image. God has preserved in Holy Scripture the only authoritative and complete revelation for all humanity. I really enjoy our statement of faith. It is so helpful. God speaks to us so that we might commune with him. When we talk about liturgy later today, that's significant. Communion with God is... He speaks to us so we might commune with him in the preservation of the only authoritative and complete revelation for all humanity. The preservation of that happens to be here in verse 9. When God gives us his word in written form. Verse 9 says that Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests. And up to this point, God was speaking to his people through Moses' mouth. But here, God will now speak to his people for the rest of time through his written word. Paul says it this way, 2 Timothy 3.16, All Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Breathed out by God, written down in Scripture, so that verse 12 says, We may hear and learn to fear the Lord. Our speaking God gives us His written word and sets it at the center of our worship. Verse 12 says, assemble the people, call them all together. Verse 11 says, read the word to them. That is word-shaped worship. When people gather, the word is at the center because God wants to speak to his people. Brian Chappell says, these verses formally introduce the institution of scripture reading in the history of Christian worship. You ever think that was right there in the middle of Numbers? Or right there in the middle of Deuteronomy? These verses formally introduce the institution of Scripture reading in the history of Christian worship. No longer binding his communication to the ephemeral thunderings on Sinai, the spatially confined burning bush, or the fleeting prophetic pronouncement. God now commands the repetition of a, of a text as his imminent and permanent voice among his people. Thus, reading the word of God becomes the very core of worship, affording each hearer an opportunity for ongoing personal encounter with the divine. In essence, scripture is God's voice incarnate for the church in all ages. Word-shaped worship. The word is at the very core of our worship. And I don't mean core like the apple core that you eat and then you throw away the apple core. That's not what I mean. The core like the earth's core. The core is the central part that holds all things together. God's word is like the earth's core. It is the densest of all matter, the weightiest of all truths. It is the gravity that keeps our feet firm on the ground. We need, to, we need that kind of centering. We need that kind of grounding, don't we? 
What has been unsettling for the church recently? What's been unsettling for you? You talked about the war and the change it brought to the city at us, right? You talked about the, the, the pandemic and the way that this has, has been going on. You think about what's going on with, with um, the Russians and, and, and uh, what, what is the country? I just, no, no, no. Ukraine, Ukraine and what's going on there. Those are real threats, real concerns, real lives lost, real grieving, and real uncertainty. And that, the kind that can cause our foot to slip and our anxious thoughts multiply, we find ourselves worrying. The church finds itself worrying. God centers us. Philippians 4, 6-7, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's the word of God. Do you need that kind of centering? that kind of grounding. There is nothing more important in times of uncertainty than to know that God speaks to us through his scriptures. His imminent voice is speaking to us when we gather and hear his word. Scripture is God's incarnate voice for the church and for you because where God's word is, God is. Where God's word is, God is. And notice that everyone is invited to receive God's word. Verse 12 says, look who's assembled. Men, women, little ones, sojourners. It's not just Moses anymore who hears God's word. It's not just the priests or the sons of Levi who carried the Ark of the Covenant. Not just the elders of Israel. God has spoken through his word and he's spoken to all of us. He speaks to you. Don't hesitate to come and hear God's word when the church gathers. This, this festival that he's speaking about, this would have been a joyous event. It was God's mercy piling up. It was the festival that celebrated the ingathering of the summer fruits. And then on top of that, every seventh year, all debts were canceled. So this would have been a very happy, enthusiastic celebration. And when everyone is invited to hear God, speak to them. And so our Sunday gatherings should be joyful occasions. We come each week to celebrate the blessings that God gives. And we come having been set free, not from earthly debts, but from the full debt of sin that Jesus paid on the cross. And we come to hear God speak to us from the Bible, the forgiveness of the gospel, the hope of the resurrection, the promise of eternal peace and reward. Everyone is gathered and invited to partake. This is the encouragement we receive when we gather together. Word-shaped worship invites everyone and results in a joyous response of praise to God. And that brings us to our, our second section, which is word-shaped worshipers. Word-shaped worshipers. When the word of God is at the center of our worship, it has its intended effect on us. 
as worshipers, on the church as worshipers. It fuels the praise of the church and makes us anticipate hearing God speak through His Word. Kevin DeYoung says, the goal of revelation is not for information only, but affection, worship, and obedience. Christ in us will be realized in us only when we drink deeply of the Bible, which is God's Word outside of us. Verse 12 says that God intends to teach His people the fear of the Lord. As God speaks through His Word, we are shaped by His Word. And you can testify this in your own life. You know this. Has not God's Word shaped and transformed you once you did not fear the Lord? But now you're filled with reverence and awe for His immeasurable worth. You're amazed and grateful for His steadfast love. You live desiring to love and to obey Him with your whole heart and soul and mind and strength. You want to ascribe the glory that is due His name. Ultimately, as word-shaped worshipers, His word teaches us to find our satisfaction in God, to treasure Christ, as we were singing about earlier, to delight in knowing and being known. That's what Jerry Bridges describes in his book, The Joy of Fearing God. The joy of fearing God. There is joy in learning to fear Him and being shaped by His Word. Those who are shaped by God's Word are happy people. How can you not be happy when the living God sends you a message with the depths of His love for you that are beyond measure of height or depth or length or breadth? That message will come and will become a great source of joy to us. Like finding that treasure, as I was saying earlier. Psalm 119, 162 says, I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil." Have we not experienced that joy and with it the strength to endure things that we would have never imagined possible to endure? Assurance that chases away doubt and condemnation. Word-shaped worshipers experience this benefit from gathering together. But we must continue to meet together and hear from God's word. There's a danger and a warning reminiscent of 1 Peter 5, 8 to 10 where Peter says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The rest of chapter 31 after this section we read is the prophecy that the people will forsake the Lord and they will whore after foreign gods and many troubles will come upon them. They don't hold fast to the word, but they're led astray by the temptations and distractions of the world. Deuteronomy 32.15 says, and Jeshurun, which is a term of endearment for Israel, referring to Israel, Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, stout, and sleek, and you forsook God. He forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. 
So why do we need to sing a word-centered song like, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer? Why do I pray that before I preach every sermon? Because I am inclined, like Israel, to forget the Lord, my rock. And if I am not hearing God's word in the assembly, I will forget and I will abandon and I will run after other gods. I will sacrifice to the gods of this age. But it's the word that keeps us. Even when we've gone astray, the word brings us back. We we say, oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer, strong defender of my ruined life. My guilt and cross laid on your shoulders. What guilt of mine is laid on his shoulders? Yes, my past sins, but also my sins today. My worship of other people's opinion of me. My apathy toward God's word. My irritability toward my kids over things that don't really matter. You know, you might say, Joseph, I see, you know, fear of man, that's a sin, you know, but really being irritable? Is that really a sin? Maybe you're just hangry. Maybe you just, maybe you just need some coffee. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and 5, the Word of God says, Love does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable. And so I need to sing. I need to sing. Gracious Savior of my ruined life, my irritability laid upon your shoulders in my place you suffered bled and died and you rose the grave and death are conquered and you broke my bonds of sin and shame oh lord my rock and my redeemer May all my days bring glory to your name. Yeah, recounting these things in word-shaped songs, it helps us obey Peter's call to resist the devil and stand firm in our faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Christ died for my sin. He rose for my salvation. He reveals it to me in his word. We find help and safety in continuing to gather and hear God's word together as a church. The word has its shaping effect on us every time we gather to hear it. 
Uh, my, I told you guys, I, t- oh, I was telling, telling Josh yesterday when we were having the lamb yesterday, which was really great. My brother-in-law uh, and I recently took up smoking uh, meat, smoking meat. Um, and uh, I, <laughs> I love smoked meat. I really, really love it. And so Matt and I, uh, we, we bought each other a Christmas present. You know, the, the Weber Smoky Mountain Smoker. We got that for Christmas. And I take that, that brisket, that beef brisket, or I know you guys don't do pork here, but, but you do. You take, that's where you take the dry rub. You put the spices on there. And then you give it time. You put it in the Weber Smoky Mountain Smoker, slow cooking in the smoke. It's entirely different from grilling because the time and the exposure to the smoke, the meat takes on the smoke's flavor and the fat, it renders. The fat melts into the meat. They call it rendering. Meat that is normally tough and less desirable is slowly transformed into a tender, flavorful meat. What, what time is lunch? Oh, um, it's all about the slow cook. You know how long it takes us? Sometimes we start it at midnight, cook all through the night. 12 hours, 18 hours, meat on the grill. Slow cook in the smoke. Flavor. And so it is as we are in church under the Word of God. The Word fills our Sunday gatherings and the church takes on the flavor, takes on the aroma of Christ. Vaughn Roberts in True Worship says, if we are to continue in wor- to worship Him properly, we need to keep hearing the truth about Him. Worship never begins with us. It is always a response to truth. It flows out of an understanding of who God is and what He has done for us in Christ. It begins with His revelation and redemption. So we must ensure that the Bible, which contains that revelation and points us to God's work of of redemption, stays right at the heart of our meetings and our own spiritual lives. When we go to church, or rather when we gather with the church, we should be expecting to hear the Bible. The church should be expecting to hear the Bible. They should expect to hear Scripture read to them and anticipate that it will shape some part of them into a truer image of God. In the True Reformation book, Jonathan Gibson and Mark uh, Ernge, in talking about worship liturgies, and what developed during the Reformation. They say, the new Reformation liturgies set forth a regular banquet of God's word in the common language to feed the flock of Christ. A regular banquet of God's word in the common language to feed the flock of Christ. Do we think of it that way? Does the church think of the Sunday gathering as a banquet of God's Word. Think about some of the different ways that the Word of God should be present in our services and how we should respond. So, we're going to talk later about liturgy. This is some of the things. Beginning with God's Word, the call to worship. We begin the service by 
reading Scripture, we need to recognize God is addressing His people. Our people need to realize that. We talked about people showing up late. You know, it's the same thing in, in the U.S. I'm, I'm two songs in before people show up. Some people don't even know we do a call to worship. It's not even, they don't even know it. But it's not just a tack on. God, we begin our service with God addressing us. We shouldn't look at the call to worship as uh, kind of the way that sometimes the mother calls the kids to dinner, right? Call goes out into the house and into the, out the window. Time for dinner! Instead of responding right away and honoring the hard work that has gone into making a nourishing, warm meal, we kind of see it as, oh, it's time to wrap up. Whatever I'm doing, I'll be there in a minute. I just need to finish this math problem or finish this email or finish watching this video. We feel the freedom to linger at whatever we're doing before we respond. So first, don't treat your moms that way. Don't treat your wives that way. They worked hard. Show some respect. Respond when they call. And I, after I preached this last time, I went home and repented to Wendy for not doing that. <laughs> it's the same with the call of worship. It's not the time when we finish up our conversations. Teach the church this. It's not the time that we return the casserole dish that someone brought us a meal after the baby was born and Wait for the music to get things really started. The call to worship is not just reading a common poem or an inspirational thought for the day to prime the pump for the worship songs. There is real significance in what is happening. We're not inviting God to come join us. God is inviting us to assemble before Him. The men, the women the children, the guests, come and hear and learn to fear the Lord. God is the one who is initiating. We are the ones who need to be ready to respond. The call, as I said earlier, should require a response. The call to worship should be a scripture that calls us to action, not just some interesting fact about God, but the worship leader should call upon the church God's people, to respond to God's revelation of Himself. So we begin with God's Word. We sing God's Word. Psalm 119, 172, My tongue shall sing of your Word, for all your commandments are right. Being Word-shaped worshipers affects the way that we think about the content of the songs that we choose to sing when we gather. Being word-shaped worshipers affects the way we think about the content, the words of our songs we choose when we gather. God's word should permeate our songs, not just in vague ways, but with rich truth, with complete thoughts and responses to that truth. Let our songs be one of the ways that we read God's word together. As it says in Colossians 3.16, which we reference regularly here this week, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God.
So singing God's Word. And then reading God's Word. One of the aspects that we need to draw from this passage here in Deuteronomy is that part of our worship, part of our worship is God's command to the people to gather and hear God's Word read aloud to everyone. That's echoed in Paul's letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy 4.13, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. In our culture, in the way that, that worship culture, modern worship culture has happened, it's, it's, it's affected our people's thinking because we can tend to think about Bible reading as taking us out of worship or interrupting the worship. Because when we're singing and there's music playing, we might feel like it's easier to be emotionally engaged with God. We can assume that that means that it's those times of music and singing where we experience, like we talked about yesterday, God's presence or God's nearness or God's love, and that the reading of Scripture is just when we're being taught. We're experiencing God's affection here, but we're just being taught by Him in the Scripture reading. And we can admit that it is a different experience. It's different to experience God through the singing of songs to Him or about Him than when we are listening to the Scriptures being read. It's easier to get distracted, right? And we can let our church know this, know that we acknowledge this. If we're just listening and not speaking along, our minds can drift, our phone buzzes. We just stop paying attention. There's a Corvette outside. Let's see it. It can be easier to pick up a song in the next verse than it can be to become aware that when we looked around the room, we missed a part of the scripture reading and now none of it makes sense, right? The songs we're familiar with. If you get distracted by the Corvette, you can come back and you know where you are in the song. In the scripture, I don't, I'm not sure where we are. Listening to God's Word can be, a diff can be different because there are more complex concepts or words that people don't understand. So I think we need to help our people. We need to train our churches against some of those things. Some of this can happen as we train and encourage them toward the private worship. We talked about private worship preparing us for public worship. One thing we can encourage them to do is spend more time in their private worship reading the Bible. The more familiar that they are, teach them, the more familiar they are with it, the more probable it is that they will understand when a passage is read during the Sunday gathering. And train them. Let them train themselves by reminding themselves that where God's Word is, God is. Remind them, when you are in your devotions, when you are reading God's Word, when God's Word is read, God is speaking to you, brother, to you, sister, to train the church that God is speaking to the church when we are together. When we read from one of the Gospels or an epistle or a psalm, God is addressing us. 
Teach your church to recognize that it's God's imminent voice to us and let that help the church focus their attention and pursue a greater understanding. If, if, if the church gathers and expects to hear His voice when Scripture is read in the congregation, then you're going to find people who are discouraged will be reminded of His love. And people who are weary will begin to hear words that refresh their souls. And when they are weak, they will find new strength in what is read from the Scripture. We should pray before the service, teach our church to pray before the service, to anticipate that God is going to stir and strengthen our faith and lift our eyes and give us hope. There is, there is no more reliable source for ongoing hope than God's Word. And when that word is read to his congregation as a whole. So, and uh, also mentioning just in reading, we've talked a lot about reading scripture together as uh, a congregation. And um, in reading a responsive reading or alternating lines between the congregation and the leader, um, uh, with the congregation repeating a, a key phrase, maybe an antiphonal reading where they say the same thing, one part of the congregation reads one and the other part responds. Reading out loud, text together. We already said that can feel a little strange. It's not something we commonly experience in many contexts. And you have, like we said, the orthodox, the way that things get read, there's, there's a certain cadence, there's a certain feel, there's a certain formality to it that may not be really helpful in our people's minds when we try to read Scripture together. Um... So don't let that discourage you uh, from doing that together with the church. That's why we spent the time breaking down the slide to, to read things together. <clears throat> Maybe your church, uh, how, how often have you done it, reading together all together like that? Is it something you do regularly? Okay, so maybe, maybe you haven't, haven't really done it too much, but I, I do encourage you to try. And when the church does it together, Call them to do it with faith. It's okay to say to the church, before you read it, you don't break the solemnity of the moment if you just say to the church, when we read this, let's not mumble, let's not read it under our breath. Let's realize God is about to speak to us. We're going to read God's word together. His word is being read. He's about to speak to us. Where God is, where God's word is, God is. Maybe even before you start, maybe you just say, we're going to read this together. Let's just pray. Holy Spirit, stir us to read these words with understanding, faith, and conviction and believe that in these words is life. Now let's read together. As pastors, as you plan Sunday services, are you, you need to be considering the importance of the church hearing the word of God read aloud. This is a value we are seeking to impart throughout all of Sovereign Grace. More of the word being imparted within the Sunday services. That's why we're taking time to study the history of liturgies. We're going to talk about that. That's why I brought this, the, the, the two books, Christ-Centered Worship and the Reformation Worship. We want to take time to study the history of liturgies and these traditions that had systems for reading through the Bible. And many of them had 
system for reading through the Bible in the Old Testament and the New Testament and the Gospel every week. Um, so that they were exposing their people to a broad range of Scripture. Uh, this, this is where my heart is. <laughs> Even growing up Episcopal, that was one of the things that, that was commendable in a church that was dead and absent of the Gospel. They read Old Testament, New Testament, and, and the Gospel. Sometimes they read the Apocrypha. But, <clears throat> but this in my church back home, I would love for us to get to that place. <laughs> I don't know that we'll ever be there, but... If the only place in the service where the Bible is read is right before the sermon, then we might be isolating it in our people's experience of worship. Wouldn't it be better to look for multiple opportunities during the gathering to shovel another load of coal of the Word of God onto the fire to keep it stoked and burning hot? Matthew Henry says, Though we read the Word in private, we must not think it needless to hear it in public. So we have the reading of God's Word. We have the teaching of God's Word. Um, and we all, we all know preaching is to be central in our gatherings. Uh, let it be studied exposition from Scripture, not just our own thoughts and ideas. H.B. Charles says, It's not the act of preaching that makes the difference, it's the content. It's not preaching if it's not the Word. It's not preaching if it's not the Word. H.P. Charles, he knows how to say it. He is, yes, he doesn't skirt around the issue. That can be said of many churches in the United States, many of churches here in the city or in Ethiopia, right? There's something going on there, but it's not preaching if it's not the Word. And then ending with God's word, the benediction. We can end our services as we begin hearing from God. The benediction is sometimes overlooked because maybe the service runs a little bit long or maybe we're just anxious to move on uh, to the next thing. But let us not miss out on a good word spoken over the people of God from Scripture. It's usually a blessing or a proclamation of God's goodness and faithfulness. It's not an afterthought. It is, it is truly God speaking a blessing over you and sending the church out into the world covered by His grace. God uses His Word to shape our worship and to shape us into worshipers. This repetition of hearing God's Word throughout our Sunday gatherings will sustain us until Christ completes what He has begun. I was, I was talking with my friend uh, Keith uh, not, not long ago, and he was telling me about his, his grandmother. Uh, she's in her 80s. Uh, her husband recently died, and she moved out of her own home into a, a long-term care facility, an elderly uh, home for the elderly, and she's experiencing dementia. You know, that is uh, forgetfulness, unawareness of what's going on because of age. And so my friend Keith took his family, he has, he has kids a little bit younger than mine, took his family to visit her. And she really enjoyed having them there, but she kept apologizing for forgetting who they were. You know, she was asking the kids multiple times how old they were. Over and over she mentioned that she was forgetting things. She doesn't remember. She's saying, I, I'm forgetting. I can't remember. 
But then she told them, she said to him, but the Lord is with me. But the Lord is with me. That's not just a Christian platitude or some sort of a pithy saying. That is, that's scripture. Three times in this chapter of Deuteronomy, chapter 31, verses 6, verse 8, verse 23, not to mention repeatedly in Genesis, Exodus, Joshua, Psalms, Isaiah, Matthew, The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. And so this dear woman is a picture of a worshiper who's been shaped by the word of God, who's heard God's word read in the congregation. Her memory may fade. God's word does not fade. And that scripture will carry her home. And those truths will carry us home as well. So may we commit ourselves to hearing God's word read in the congregation. May we teach our churches to anticipate God speaking as they hear God's word read in the congregation. May we plan and prepare a banquet of God's word for our people. Deuteronomy 32, 47 says, for it is, it is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this word you shall live long. Oh God, how amazing, how amazing is your word. It is no very empty word for us. It is our very life. And so may we live every breath of this earth and may we live on into eternity by this word. By this word. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys. Um, oh, God is so good, isn't he? He is our very life. He is our very life. Praise, praise, praise be to him. Um, okay. I don't know how to move on. God is here. So, <laughs> um.